Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. Well, we're back from our vacation uh, time. Uh, we were out actually out west of the wonderful state of Washington State, up there in the great northwest, and we were able to take in some of the great sites uh, of the area. That is the Olympic National Park and Forest in the coastal region, and also Mount Rainier. And the weather was just incredible uh, and, and clear, and so we just had a great time. We were also there for some family uh, activities as well. So uh, thank you for uh, bearing with us as we were out of town, but uh, we're back at it. And of course, uh, school is back at it as we return back to Ohio, and school is back in session. And so uh, this is an exciting year, of course, because this is the largest expansion of school choice uh, funding by the state of Ohio that we've ever seen. Uh, in fact, more families are benefiting from the Ed Choice program uh, that was passed in House Bill 33 uh, earlier this year which uh, really a lot of uh, families are able to benefit now from um, uh, funding that uh, which would normally go to a public school, using it to the school of their choice, whether it's a parochial school, Christian school, charter school, public school. Uh, they can use that money for their student uh, as they see fit. So it's more of a freedom of educational choice expansion in the state of Ohio, if we could actually call it that way. Uh, but uh, it was a large uh, increase, uh, but we're going to talk about the details of it with our good, fr- good friend Greg Lawson of the Buckeye Institute. He is the Senior Research Fellow at the Buckeye Institute, public policy uh, think tank there in the state of Ohio in Columbus, helps with a lot of information to our legislators uh, as far as uh, policy and uh, basically the information they need to make proper decisions on public policy. Uh, Greg, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me on, Chris. Really appreciate uh, being able to get on here and talk about something that is uh, really just very exciting and something I think uh, every Ohio family that's got kids in uh, K-12 through education uh, should be really very excited about. It's just an incredible opportunity that's been opened up here. Uh, and so uh, it's exciting to talk about it. And uh, we're looking forward to continuing to promote it and to, frankly, build off of it for the future, too. Well, for years, we were pushing for ed choice in Ohio. Uh, my wife and I raised eight children, all, of course, which are uh, raised and on their own now and have their own children. So now it's all about our grandchildren. And so we're basically watching our grandchildren benefit from the things that we tried to push for years ago. And it's taken some time to get it through the Ohio legislature. Uh, of course, we'd love to see a universal ed choice program, but this is uh, this is a major expansion. Explain to us exactly what happened in House Bill 33. Sure. Well, I think the simplest uh, thing to say is that it does universalize school choice in the state of Ohio. Every family uh, that has a student uh, in K through 12 education uh, is eligible now for a voucher. Now. Uh, I'll kind of walk through it. There, it, it got a little more. It's universal; everybody can get one, uh, but the amount might vary depending on the amount of income that you have. So, essentially, probably for the 
majority of Ohio families, probably somewhere around 70% or so of, of families, will get a full uh, voucher called Ed Choice. And so this is an expansion of the main Ed Choice program. So if you got a, a student uh, who is in any grade between kindergarten and eighth grade, uh, and you're below 450% of the poverty guidelines, the federal poverty guidelines, and so just to put that into context, that'd be uh, a family of four, that'd be $135,000 for a family of four. So uh, two parents, two kids, they could make up to $135,000 in household income. And they would be eligible for the full voucher, which is $6,165 uh, for a student in K through 8. And then they would also be eligible for $8,407 uh, for a student who would be in high school. Uh, now, if you make above that dollar amount, there's basically a, a sliding scale, and you would get a lower dollar amount voucher. But uh, the least that anybody could get, and this is for folks that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, would be six, basically about 10% or $650 for K through 8, and then another 950 for 9 through 12. But that, again, that lower dollar amount uh, would be uh, only kicking in for those that are pretty high up there on the uh, on the income scale, basically uh, like 750% of the poverty level. So if you think about that, that's well over $200,000 uh, in income a year. So it's not 100% uh, uh, funding for every single student in the state of Ohio. There have been you know, a lot of proposals at the state house uh, for that, so it didn't quite get there. But the eligibility is universal, and I think that is the critical thing here. Everybody who wants one can get one. And what this really does is it's going to give an opportunity to families where this was out of reach in the past. Uh, how much help uh, could it have done for you, <laughs> uh, you know, Chris? And frankly, I look at this now and think about how much it could have done for me with the three kids that I now have, too. Uh, and I wish something like this had been on the books years ago. And so it's taken us a while to get here. Uh, but I think that this is a massive step in the right direction. And I'll give the General Assembly uh, uh, credit. The state Senate in particular really pushed very aggressively uh, on this. A lot of individual House members pushed on this. Uh, but this was a big victory for everybody who has wanted to see more opportunities for families to be able to get some of their own tax money back into their hands so that they can make a decision about what is right for their own individual students. Well, that's right. And, of course, uh, in the long household uh, through the years, we did homeschool. We did private school and Christian school. Uh, we did um, uh, a couple of different types of Christian schools, actually. Uh, we also did online charter school. So this would have benefited us, uh, at least through the Christian school and charter school aspect, um, but not through the homeschool. So homeschool students are not applicable to this uh, current uh, funding system. Is that right? That is correct. So this means that if you wanted to, to uh, apply for this um, monies that would go to the school and you say you're in a, a certain public school district, but you would like for your children to go to the, the Christian school, you can, and again, you can see, as Greg stated, we're going to send this link out with the radio broadcast today uh, that's going to show the proportions according to the federal poverty levels as he stated, between 450% below 450% up into uh, 750% or higher. But it shows the, the graduated scale of the amount per student 
K through 8 or 9 through 12. So this was a big victory for school choice in the state of Ohio. It's, it's, it's essentially universal school choice. It's not what we would call the backpack bill that uh, is popular in some other states around the country. But this is the closest thing to it, isn't it, Greg? It definitely. And, you know, when I look at there's some other things that were done in the budget in the, in the tra- public charter school space that also a- expanding opportunities to schools that maybe do things a little bit differently uh, than your just regular zip code traditional district school. Uh, so when you look at all of this put together, uh, and I've been following this stuff for a long time. I've been with the Buckeye Institute for over a decade and was following school choice even before I joined. I can say this is the biggest single budget, uh, a pro-school choice budget that I've seen in Ohio. Um, you know, there are some states out there that might be a little bit ahead of us. A lot of states like out west, uh, particularly Arizona, has done a lot of work in this space. But, bio, but in Ohio here, this is incredible. This is, this is a big movement. It's moved a mountain. Uh, I don't think this is the end uh, place. You mentioned the backpack bill. There's a lot of ways to get us even further uh, there's education savings accounts, which I think are even even better than vouchers for a whole host of reasons. There's things we need to talk about in the future, too. But I, I, I just think it's important to really kind of sit back and look at this and think about where we've come. Uh, you know, in the 1990s, there were no options, nothing. There was no, there was no such thing as vouchers. And then there was the Cleveland Scholarship uh, that came about in the 90s. And ultimately, it was that particular program. Uh, that uh, there was litigation on it. It went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. The reason- That's right. Uh, sure. Former Governor Voinovich pushed for that. Uh, right. Obviously, the former mayor of uh, Cleveland and then our Ohio governor, he pushed for educational choice because of the failing Cleveland schools. They were yeah. constantly in a um, failing or crisis mode. And he said, these students need options. These parents need options. Uh, for the education of their children in Cleveland. So it did become the model of what now we have as universal school choice. Explain. Yeah. Well, before that, there there was no no ability to do that. So if you were someone who was in a, uh, particularly if you were a low-income individual or even a middle-income person, you know, tuition is not cheap, as we all know, and, and so it would be a real challenge. So if you happen to live in certain areas, you kind of were trapped by where you were zip-coded, which was oftentimes, obviously, as a function uh, of, of, of income. And a lot of these things, Cleveland was doing very, very poorly, and there was a desire to, to make a change. And, and so the Cleveland plan came in. Uh, there was litigation on it. People who didn't like it basically were saying it was, you know, violating the separation of church and state. So they sued. And this case went all the way to the Supreme Court right here out of Ohio, and this is the U.S. Supreme Court in the early 2000s said, no, it's not a violation uh, at all uh, because the money is actually going to the parent, and the parent is choosing uh, the school, which has, uh, yes, there might be uh, religious instruction there, but the reason they're going to the school is because of the academics and the other aspects of it, and, they, and, and so it was found constitutional. And so that was a huge victory for Ohio, but then for a long time after that, you know, we created a program, Ed Choice, which originally... Uh, was not income-based at all. It was basically you had to be in a public school district that was underperforming, kind of like how Cleveland was. Yes. So there was a lot of complicated things that would happen. And essentially, if school districts performed poorly on state testing for a set number of years, you might be, or actually I should say even a school building, down to the individual building that you were going to, your student was going to, uh, you had to, to have a failing school, essentially, in order to be eligible. So 
while that was better than what the status quo was at the time, it was obviously highly restrictive. So we've been growing for a while, and there have been other uh, budgets and other uh, other efforts to expand this. But this really, again, uh, you know, I don't want to. Uh, maybe I sound a little too effusive in my praise, but I think it really can't be uh, overstated how big of a deal it is to have gone to this next level in this particular budget, and then to kind of look back over where we came from uh, there in those that era before Governor Voinovich, as you as you kind of walked through there, Chris, and and the Cleveland plan. Uh, all the way through where we are today, it's just a remarkable difference. And and the key thing here is it's going to help students across the board. And charter schools, by the way, too, are are, are seeing some very important changes in this budget uh, that will make them uh, be able to to do more uh, than they've been able to do historically because of some some funding issues that uh, frankly disadvantage them as it compared to uh, district schools. Uh, and, and charter schools are, are public schools, so they're not private schools, but they're public, but they they are allowed to do things a little bit differently. They can choose different kinds of curriculum. They can choose different sort of teaching methodologies to help meet different kinds of needs of different kinds of students. So it's not that sort of one-size-fits-all approach that tends to happen in district schools, which, again, nothing wrong. I don't, I, you know, I don't want it to come off like we're saying something negative. It's just that if you have a district school, you have to sort of teach to the median, right? You kind of have to teach uh, there because you've got so many students that are in there. There's just limitations to what you can do. Uh, there's obviously, there's, you know, issues with the way the administration operates at the district level and what kind of requirements they impose on individual schools. So charter schools were designed to be another option for families that might want something a little bit different. But again, historically, they've been under, frankly, underfunded. Uh, this budget does a number of things to help provide more funding equity uh, between uh, charter schools and district schools. Uh, so when you look at that, that's another option for some families that might not want to take advantage of the Ed Choice voucher. Uh, maybe they want to go to a, a charter school that, that happens to meet their needs. And there's a lot of different schools opening up with a lot of different curriculums and, and things, including now even some, some classical schools uh, that are starting to, to emerge. All right, don't go there yet. I want to talk about enrollment. So enrollment up is very much up for this new program. Tell us about enrollment numbers. Yeah, so far, uh, early on with the applications, and mind you, the budget was just passed at the end of June and signed by the governor into law in July. So we have application windows that are opening. So there has been, my understanding is, there's been a deluge of applications. I think the previous high was somewhere in the 80,000 range, and my understanding was about at least a, a, a little over a week ago uh, was around 100,000 had already applications were already in. Now, uh, there's some things that you kind of go through. You got to do some income verification because obviously that determines the amount of the voucher you get, uh, as we were talking about earlier. So there's some administrative things that, that have to be done uh, at the process, the applications. But I would assume the vast majority of those are going to not have you know too many issues, or if there are, they'll be resolved. Which means that we're going to see a historic uh, number of, of students. Uh, being able to take advantage of these vouchers. And I think that's going to be a great thing. It's going to be a great thing for existing schools. I think it's also, you know, it's an opportunity. We're a free market think tank in the Buckeye Institute. We think competition is a great thing. This is going to be, we're, we're seeing these numbers. There's over, that's 20,000 more people uh, uh, that have applied than ever before. And if that continues to grow, and I'm assuming it's probably grown since the last time I got an update, 
uh, that's going to create an incentive for folks to, to open up new opportunities. Schools that were, that were downsizing may not have to downsize now. Maybe the, some will even expand. Maybe there will be new schools. And, you know, obviously it's very important for a lot of the private Christian schools. I think that's critically important. But there's going to be some schools that might open up that, uh, again, uh, do maybe they won't be per se uh, 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 you know, a religious school. They may have a different uh, model that they want to do uh, that meets the needs of different students. And I think that's going to be a great thing. Uh, the, the key thing here is education needs a massive shakeup. Uh, the system that we have all come to understand, the traditional public school model, it has its benefits, it has uh, some things that are positive in it, but it's also got a lot of downsides, and, and especially for in certain students. We saw an awful lot of that with the COVID shutdown. Obviously, there was the shutdown itself. There's what a lot of families saw when they were getting on those Zoom classrooms that they realized wasn't what they wanted to see. They were shocked, frankly, uh, by what they were seeing. And, and what school choice does is it gives parents a chance uh, to really – tailor what they need, find the place that meets their needs for their students. And sometimes, um, you know, they, they, may not even, they may not even send all their kids to the same school uh, because you wouldn't necessarily have to, right? You know, some, one student might do fine in a public school, and, but the, their sibling might do better in a private school and get the Ed Choice voucher. Why shouldn't they have that? This is going to create that opportunity in a way that has never been allowed before. So, again, uh, probably about 100,000 so far. I'm assuming there's going to be more. I think this is going to be a great opportunity. It's going to create an incentive for other people to, to start opening up schools, to create uh, even more ability for families to find exactly the right fit. Well, let's talk about how this is actually happening. So, for instance, folks, you live in a school district. Uh, your student money goes directly to the district school. But if you choose for your student to go to a Christian school, you can make application for this grant. Uh, essentially, this is the Ed Choice program uh, that was just expanded this spring in the state of Ohio. So you need to know about this, and so that uh, that tuition could be paid for by these monies. It would be taken away from the public school and given directly to your Christian school or private school. Let me give you the phone number of because uh, there's people that haven't applied for this yet. Uh, there's a window then for them to be able to receive the monies yet this year. What is that window, Greg? Uh, actually, yeah, ask me too quick. I got to double check the exact uh, time on there to be sure I don't misstate uh, my window on here. Um, well, you're looking it up. I'm going to give them the phone number. The number is 614-728-2743 uh, or 877-644-6338. Again, that's 614-728-2743. This is the Ed Choice Program for Ohio. They'll answer your questions. This is the EdChoice Scholarship Program that's just been expanded. You can also email them at edchoice at education.ohio.gov. That's edchoice at education.ohio.gov. And you can get a scholarship for your student that's going to a private or Christian school uh, in your district for the first time. And again, it's uh, you'll see also in the link that we will send out with this broadcast the uh, graduated scale depending upon income-based of how much per student, K through 8 and 9 through 12. What is the window for them to still be able to apply for these the grants? The window is actually pretty broad, uh, so that's a good thing. So it's uh, actually the window is open through June 30th of next year. So uh, I thought they had opened the window up a little bit more broadly than they've had in the past uh, because that's always been a bit of a, 
of a burden on folks to be able to, to realize what's going on and then to be able to make the application. So uh, uh, the window is, is broadly open. But I would say that the sooner you do it, it's always better to uh, get in early and, and, and because they're getting so many uh, that, um, you know, one of the challenges that they're going to have is uh, making sure they can process all these applications with the staff that they have. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't get frustrated uh, with things. And I'm going to, you know, we're trying to keep on top of making sure that these applications are getting processed as expeditiously as possible. So hopefully if there's any kind of an issue there, families can stay in contact. And I can tell you this, if you're waiting for like weeks or something and you contact a legislator, <laughs> The legislator will get to the department uh, pretty dang quickly uh, to make sure that uh, things are moving forward. Ed Choice Program. Let's talk about classical education. We have a few minutes left. Classical education, Hillsdale College, the great uh, conservative college in Michigan, is actually fostering uh, with uh, helping new classical education schools get started, uh, especially in the uh, high school level. Explain to us that, and I know of one that's opening here in Northeast Ohio. People are pretty excited about this. Explain. Sure. Uh, so basically, Hillsdale has an entire curriculum uh, that is classical education. So we're talking about recapturing a lot of the stuff that's been lost in in, in sort of the modern movement uh, of education. This is about going back and understanding classic literature, classic philosophy, understanding what it means to be a citizen uh, in a country that has freedom like the United States. This is the kind of thing that would have been very common uh, up through a good chunk of the 20th century, but is, is, has now unfortunately changed in some areas. So uh, what Hillsdale has done, which has really done yeoman's work, is, is help put together a, a very rigorous uh, type curriculum uh, that meets the needs of families that are looking for something that is truly academically challenging, but also inspiring, I think, to individual families uh, as well. And so they're working with uh, interested, you know, basically interested people at charter schools or public schools, but they have their own individual boards. And so these come together and they work uh, with Hillsdale. Hillsdale doesn't run the school. It's the board uh, that runs the school, but Hillsdale helps provide training for the, for the staff, for the headmaster, for teachers. Uh, they do incredible work there. They offer the curriculum. Uh, and so they're helping kind of seed these schools and offer these opportunities to uh, folks around the state. And it's, it's starting to, to kind of take off here, I think. I, I know you mentioned the one up in, in, in your neck of the woods. Uh, one's been open now uh, uh, in Cincinnati. Cincinnati Classical Academy is doing exceptionally well. Uh, there's uh, some efforts to get a school here in central Ohio in the Columbus area, hopefully opening in 2024. Um, so they're starting to pop up. I think you're going to see additional ones. I've heard there's one. I think there's some, an effort in Athens, of all places, believe it or not, Athens, where Ohio University is, which I think uh, they really probably need that <laughs> down in that neck of the woods. Yeah. Uh, so so there's a lot of these that are popping up. And and so I will say they're not easy. Uh, this is not something This is this takes a lot of effort. Uh, the people who are on these boards are usually, not only are they true believers in, in the classical education, but they're usually... Uh, very engaged uh, community uh, people who uh, have a lot of background in, in various things, sometimes education, sometimes business, uh, because it's a hard process to start a charter school because it is a public school. There's a lot of rules, regulations, legal requirements that you've got to uh, address. Uh, and also it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to get these off the ground. But if you happen to hear of folks and you're anywhere near where you are, 
uh, you hear that they're trying to make an effort, I would encourage uh, listeners to to talk to any of the people that are on those boards, uh, uh, you know, to to really give them uh, support. And for for those that have uh, an interest, maybe and in, and in, in, in trying to get this where they are, uh, start talking internally uh, to to folks at Hill. You can you can reach out to Hillsdale. You can reach out to folks at some of the schools. Uh, you know. I'm always happy to, to, to offer help. So uh, I, I, there's people and resources that you can reach out to to try to get started here because this is something that I think is going to really uh, going to take off. I think there's a real hunger for this now, perhaps more than any time that I recollect. And so these opportunities are coming. There's funding from the state that's going to be able to help facilitate this. It's not easy to do, but it's the right thing to do to get as many of these as we can off the ground. All right. Well, Greg, thank you for being my guest today. We've run out of time. Again, this has been a great program about Ed Choice. We'll have the link up on our website at ohioca.org. We'll also send it out with a podcast so you can look up the information and make an application for your student for an educational choice voucher. Greg, thanks for being my guest. Thank you. In the Army National Guard, soldiers serve part-time and close to home. My community means everything to me. It helped shape me into who I am today and is where I choose to raise my own family. That's why I joined the Army National Guard. I'm proud of where I'm from. And as a soldier, I get to give back to the people that helped me succeed. The education benefits I got from serving helped me get my degree and jumpstart my career. The training and leadership skills I've gained from the Army National Guard help me every day when I teach young people, help my neighbors, and look out for my community. I know that when my neighbors need us the most, my fellow soldiers and I will be ready. My family loves it here, and my part-time service means we get to stay here. Serve part-time in the community you live in as a proud member of the Army National Guard. Talk to your local recruiter or visit nationalguard.com. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Okay, and we're back. We're going to be talking with Lizzie Marbosch. She was the recent communications director of Ohio Right to Life and was a co-laborer uh, for Issue 1 with us at the Ohio Christian Alliance as we were working with a number of groups to try to get Issue 1 passed earlier this month on August 8th. Unfortunately, we were not successful. I do want to commend all the pro-life groups that worked vigorously to try to get Issue 1 passed, which would have raised the constitutional amendment uh, passage to 60%, meaning you'd need 60% uh, 
uh, the vote to uh, adopt any amendment to the to the Ohio Constitution. Uh, unfortunately, we were not successful. We did 1.3 million votes statewide. Uh, we more than met our benchmark, but we were not prepared for the opposition uh, that was generated against issue one. The political left came out in full force. Uh, what they didn't confuse in the vote, they definitely mobilized their forces. Uh, all up and down the political scale on the political left to oppose us on issue one. So now what does it mean? It means November 7th, we have to be successful in voting down uh, the abortion ballot measure uh, that this Thursday the board, the ballot board will give it a number. We don't know what that number will be, but again, it's the abortion ballot measure. Now we're going to give you the name and title that you're going to see on your ballot, and it's not going to be anything like what you think. Uh, of what the reality is of this radical abortion ballot measure. With me on the phone is Lizzie Marbach. Uh, Lizzie, uh, thank you for joining me today. Chris, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for all the work that you did as communications director through the whole campaign uh, in the the uh, late winter, uh, spring, and and summer session. You know, we really didn't have much of a summer. Those of us that were working on issue one. Uh, we had to make our travels and activities surrounding around campaigning on issue one, and we were very, very busy. Uh, the Ohio Christian Alliance put out a bulletin insert to churches all across the state. There were public forums, of course. Uh, we spent time on this radio program. A lot of folks were dismayed uh, by the outcome. They were shocked, quite honestly, that we weren't successful. I think the percentage was 43% to 57%. 57% against, but again, they got 1.7 million votes against us to 1.3. But I don't believe, as one analyst was uh, being interviewed, that that portends that they can expect that much confidence for their amendment in November. In fact, many people that voted against Issue 1 uh, on August 8th are probably going to vote with us and vote no again in November, and we're going to count on that no vote because it's a simple majority, folks. That's what we've been decrying and we've been warning is that this thing just needs 51 percent for passage that means everyone has to get out there and vote no on the abortion ballot measure of november 7th lizzie what's your thoughts on all that yeah well i really agree with you overall like you said um the the voters that voted no on issue one in August, a lot of them are pro-life voters who just simply disagreed on the constitutional question. Whereas the people who, who are radically pro-abortion that voted no, obviously they're going to continue to carry that through to, to November. So, so really the only side that has votes to lose is the other side. Whereas we have nothing, uh, but gaining votes, gaining support, uh, for our opposition and defeating the abortion lobby in November. I think that the the key is really just getting the truth out there, letting every Ohioan know what's at stake and speaking clearly so that there isn't any kind of confusion of, about what's going to be on the ballot. I think um, one of the issues that we, that we saw with issue one was there, there was a lot of com, uh, confusion with, with messaging. Some people were completely sure about what they were actually voting on and, we want to avoid that going into November. We want to make sure that everyone knows unequivocally that this is a vote to enshrine state-sanctioned murder through all nine months of pregnancy with zero restrictions. It's a radical, extreme amendment that has to be defeated in Ohio. 
We're talking with Lizzie Marbach. We're talking as a pro-life leader. We are talking about the abortion ballot measure, a radical abortion ballot measure that will wipe out all of Ohio's pro-life laws that we have fought for over the years. We're talking about the parental notification law, the ban on partial birth abortion, the 20-week abortion ban, and the heartbeat law. All will be gone if these folks are successful in November. You need to get the word out. You need to urge people, all your family and friends, once again, to go out and vote no on the abortion ballot measure. Now, it's not going to say that when you look at it on your ballot. In fact, what it's going to say uh, is a euphemism of what the political left has put together in a scripted language that will actually not only provide for abortion, but as actually provide transgender surgeries for minors and all other kinds of complications, including parental notification, uh, that law would be gone. In fact, so a minor girl, and I'm going to have you expound on that, uh, Lizzie, in just a minute, but this is what it will read. The right to reproductive freedom with protections for health and safety. Unfortunately, that's going to be the title of this thing, and I'm reading from the Ohio Ballot Board agenda for this Thursday. That's when Frank LaRose and company will come together, uh, both the political left and the political right, uh, the, what is the ballot board. And they're going to then, uh, let's see, it says, prescribe and certify the ballot language for proposed constitutional amendment entitled the right to reproductive freedom with protections for health and safety. It will also include prescribe and certify the ballot language for proposed law entitled an act to control and regulate adult use of cannabis. What that reads is basically legalizing marijuana in the state of Ohio. Folks, you don't want that. You do not want to see legalized recreational marijuana in Ohio uh, with driving problems and all kinds of things that will happen if we legalize pot recreational use in the state of Ohio. But those are the two uh, nasty things that are on the ballot in November. <laughs> We've got to get out in force and as Ohioans vote them both down. But uh, Lizzie, tell us about the radical abortion ballot measure. Again, they're using... Uh, you know, the right to reproductive freedom with protections for health and safety. They have spelled out lies in this whole thing from the beginning. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Like you said, I mean, this entire ballot initiative is just filled with euphemisms and zero truth. Uh, it was written for the purpose of manipulating voters, of, of uh, lying to voters about what this would actually do. It wants to pose itself as though it's some moderate measure that um, that is a compromise on the abortion issue when it very clearly is not. If you look at the language beginning uh, with with the first sentence, it, it says that every individual has the right to carry out one's own reproductive decisions. Well, what does that mean? First of all, we look at the term individual. Individual doesn't just mean adult. It doesn't mean just woman. It means any individual, including children, including minors. And then you go to reproductive decisions where it says including but not limited to uh, abortion and, and other various things. Well, what is a reproductive decision? Um, obviously, if you're going to try to change your gender, if you're going to, if a, if a young teenage girl wants to get a hysterectomy, that's a reproductive decision that is now enshrined in Ohio's constitution. And most shockingly of, of all, I, I, I don't think that we should be uh, desensitized to the evil of what abortion actually is. Most shockingly of all is that it would enshrine state-sanctioned murder into our constitution, which is, is just 
unfathomable to think about. Abortion takes the, the life of an innocent human child and to have that written into our constitution, which is a document that's supposed to protect our rights and freedoms, not take them away. Uh, that is just unthinkable and something that Ohio cannot allow to happen in our state. We have to fight against that with as much vigor as possible. Voters, I, I employ every Ohio voter to go out and vote because we can't be apathetic on this. We have to stand up. This is the unconstitutional constitutional amendment. This is actually to, it would wreck our constitution, like you say, that protects every citizen in the state of Ohio, including the unborn, and that's what we've been fighting for for all these years. Last year, we saw the U.S. Supreme Court strike down Roe v. Wade, that terrible, horrible decision by the U.S. Supreme Court nearly 50 years ago, and uh, the Dobbs decision did open up, though, Pandora's box, because the decision basically said that it now goes back to the states, and that's why folks were fighting this battle in Ohio. You say, what's this all about? I thought this was decided on the federal level. No. Now it's come back to the states. In the state of Michigan, last year, they became the first victim of Planned Parenthood and the radical left as they sought to uh, enshrine into their state constitution this same radical language. Unfortunately, it was adopted in the state of Michigan. Uh, that's when Governor uh, Whitmer was reelected. The Democrat liberal uh, far left wing nut up there was elected again, and with it, this horrible abortion amendment. The folks up there are stunned uh, that it was actually done. There's a strong pro-life community, strong Christian community in Michigan. They're lamenting, you know, because of what's happened to their state. And um, quite honestly, because of Michigan being so uh, leftist and uh, so crazy on the left wing, there's people saying, you know what, I was going to go to their vacation. I'm just not going to do it. I just don't need the headache. I don't need the trouble. And so, folks, you know, your state becomes known for what it is. Uh, and so when they, if they're going to adopt this in November, we pray God that not be the case, that we're able to de defeat this thing, uh, because we want to save unborn babies' lives. Uh, this is about life. This is about choose life or choose death. This is about blessing and cursing. Uh, this is a life and death issue in November and uh, all hands on deck. And let me tell you something. If you're going to a church that's not going to talk about this, get out of that church. I'm sorry. Get out. Get to a church that's going to talk about the relative issues of the day. Uh, because if you can't protect the unborn, I have to go back to a Baptist pastor friend of mine. He said, if you're not pro-life, I doubt whether you're actually born-again believer. And so, and that wasn't a small church either. That was a very large church in Akron. And I agree with his sentiment. Uh, his father led the charge in the evangelical world 40 years ago as one of the first evangelical uh, voices to speak out. That was Charles Billington, and they had a large TV program. You know, once upon a time, that church actually was firebombed. It makes you wonder what we wondered back in the day because there's such a dark interest that's involved with the abortion industry. I mean, uh, folks, there's some really dark elements that are involved in the very uh, blood money uh, element of abortion. Uh, around the state of Ohio and nationally, and now they're bringing that same money to try to enshrine into the Ohio Constitution abortion on demand, taking us back to the dark days of Roe v. Wade in the state of Ohio and wiping out every gain that we've made in the pro-life movement over the last 30 years. 
You have no reason to sit on the sidelines. You've got to get involved. And it can't just be us leaders. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to convince family, friends. Get out there and vote no on this abortion ballot measure in November. Lizzie, your thoughts? I completely agree. Like you said, if you're a pastor out there who isn't willing to talk about this issue, what are you even doing? This is life and death. From the very beginning, from the first century, Christians were the ones who, we were the ones who stood up against every single atrocity that was taking place. We were the ones in the first century who saved the children who were literally being thrown away in the dumpsters in Rome. We took those children in and gave them a place of refuge. We uh, we are the ones who led the abolitionist movement during the time of slavery to end slavery. If it wasn't for the Christian church, slavery would still be going on today. And it's the same exact situation that we're in today with the issue of abortion. We're not going to be able to end this until the church stands up and speaks clearly on this issue. And, and look, I understand that it's a, a, a difficult topic to address, especially the pastor. You might have a post-abortive woman. Um, in your sitting in your pews, but you have to address it first and foremost, because how are you ever going to uh, show that that woman where she can find ultimate hope and forgiveness uh, for for her abortion? You have to share the gospel with her so that she knows where she can be forgiven and that there is hope after that. But also, what about the the women and men in the pews who are considering abortion? How are they going to know that a, what this truly is without you speaking boldly? from the pulpit on that, and uh, pastors really have to take the charge on that. They can't compartmentalize their faith from politics. It all works together. When Jesus says that he's king of kings and lord of lords, uh, that includes the the political realm. That includes our, our government and the way that we vote. So as Christians, we have to be prepared when we go into the voting booth what is the biblical way of thinking on on this? And the only way that we're going to be prepared for that is if our spiritual leaders are telling us that. So I completely agree. This is life and death. And um, there's there's no there's no other option but voting no. We have to defeat this if we care about the future of Ohio and care about the future of our state. Because uh, like you said, people people recognize what a state stands for, and uh, they're they're going to recognize when Ohio. You know, enshrines the right to state-sanctioned murder, enshrines the right to dissection surgeries. The the rest of the nation is going to take note, and they're they're going to be less inclined to to come to Ohio. Um, and so we just really need to take this serious. Absolutely, we're talking with Lizzie Marbach. Lizzie, um, when we think about really uh, the election that just was in August, a special election. Uh, it exceeded everyone's expectations of what the turnout was. I think it was something like 33, 34%, uh, may have been even a little higher than when the final numbers come in. But, you know, obviously was, everyone was stunned by that. Uh, when we come into November, this will not just be these two ballot issues on the ballot, of course. There'll be municipal races and county races, uh, that kind of thing. So there will be a lot on your ballot, uh, this November. Uh, but folks, this is a time to get out. Uh, obviously this is an off year election, but it's when you vote for your mayor or your city council, that kind of thing. A lot of those kind of races are going on, maybe a, a local issue, but it's this statewide ballot issue. It's not going to say radical abortion ballot measure. That's what we're calling it because that's what it is and that's what it will do. It's called the right to reproductive freedom with protection for health and safety. Listen. 
The devil is a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. That's what Jesus said. These people are lying to you. They're lying to the people of Ohio. We've got to call them out. And by the way, these are outside interests that have come to Ohio to push this agenda on us. Uh, the folks that are working inside the state of Ohio that are uh, left-wing people, they didn't have the money. This money came from all over the country and even outside the country. I mean, there was money from some billionaire in Switzerland that gave them money to run against issue one earlier this month. The same kind of money is going to be out there pushing for this radical amendment in November. You've got to be aware of that. You've got to be schooled on it. You've got to get information on it. You've got to share with your family, your friends, your fellow congregants, and people you work with to vote no on this thing. It will take away parental rights. It will legalize late-term painful abortion. Uh, it will actually include funding for transgender of minors uh, because and you say, well, how is that possible? The language in this bill is so liberal, so wide and wide open. They can, they can, through the courts, push anything they want with this thing and saying, well, it's in the state constitution. But they need to get in first. And we can't let them into our state constitution. Isn't that right, Lizzie? We've got to keep them out. Exactly. We have to keep them out. And like you said, this, this would enshrine every single type of lunacy that the left is trying to bring in from D.C. into Ohio and from California and New York. So trying to force that onto Ohioans. This would enshrine the, the quote-unquote right for minors to uh, go get hormone blockers like Lupron, which are proven to sterilize children. They are not reversible drugs. They're extremely harmful. And under this amendment, a, a liberal teacher could take your 10-year-old kid to go get hormone blockers and not tell you, and the teacher would be protected under law now to do that. It's so sick and so depraved what they're trying to bring in here. Um, we we know that the, the left as a whole, they have an agenda that they're trying to, to push in. And like you said, this is, this is getting bankrolled by people from out of state. This is not an Ohio initiative. This is getting bankrolled from people in California, from people in D.C. I think that there was even some reports of some international funds that was coming in for this ballot initiative. And so there's a lot of people who have their eyes on this, who want to force this into the Buckeye State. And we have to stand up. We have to say no. Because once you allow this into the state, I, I mean, where, where else do we go from there? When we have legalized murder and child mutilation, where where do we go from there? How can we stand strong and, and stand proud as a state when we have that in our Constitution? Uh, our, our Constitution is a representation of our values and who we are. I just don't see how we're able to, to continue um, being proud of, of being a Buckeye when that's the kind of values that we uphold. When we look at this language, and it's posted on our website, we've had it up there for months, and you can read the full ballot language, and you need to do that. You need to break it down. You need to be discerning. Think and discern as you read this thing. Every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions. Well, that sounds reasonable, including but not limited to decisions on contraception, fertility treatment, continuing one's own pregnancy, miscarriage, and abortion. <coughs> so there it is. It's plain and simple. It is about abortion at the end of the day, isn't it, Lizzie? 
Yes, it absolutely is about abortion and what they're trying to do by using that language, by by including all of these other things that obviously are not at risk of being taken away. You've always had the right to carry out one's own pregnancy. You always have had the right to get miscarriage treatment care. Uh, but they want to fool you into voting for this amendment so that you have to say, in order to say yes to those other things, you have to say yes to abortion as well. And that is not the case. Those other uh, actual rights to carry out one's own pregnancy and miscarriage treatment, those are, are not at stake here in the state of Ohio. And you do not have to vote yes on this amendment to protect those other things. This is just about them trying to sneak abortion through uh, right under your nose so that you don't recognize what they're actually trying to do. And it will handcuff the state general assembly. Let me read this. The state shall not directly or indirectly burden, penalize, prohibit, interfere with, or discriminate against either an individual's voluntary exercise of this right or a person or entity that assists an individual exercising this right unless the state demonstrates that it is using the least restrictive means to advance the individual's health in accordance with widely accepted and evidence-based standards of care. In other words, a counselor can advise your minor to get an abortion and you can't interfere. Neither can the state. Uh, a counselor, some radical at the school, can advise your student to start taking hormone-blocking drugs and say, well, you're not a boy, you're a girl. Uh, that's why you're confused. And you won't be able to do anything as a parent. It's right there. It's it's kind of legal language, folks. It's not spelling it out for you. That's why you got to think and discern. you got to listen to what we're telling you. We're warning you ahead of time. This is happening. And so, Lizzie, we just got to keep on pounding away and telling folks between now and November, we've got to defeat this uh, radical agenda. Yeah, absolutely. We have to defeat it. And, and like you said, just use discernment when you're reading this. And remember that this is going to be a constitutional amendment. So this is not going to be a piece of legislation where it's supposed to clearly lay out exactly what it's supposed to do. No, this is an amendment where other where our laws will be interpreted through. And so just in the same way where uh, Roe made the, the terrible mistake of saying that there was this hidden right to abortion in the penumbras of the of the constitution if they're if they were able to to come up with it with that kind of of interpretation in the u.s constitution what else could they interpret through this very broad and vague constitutional amendment in ohio oh that's exactly right and so these attorneys on the political left the aclu they're the ones who scripted this language folks and they did it in such a way to set a trap for all of us to make it sound reasonable uh, that's the way the devil always is. Oh, he always makes it sound reasonable until afterwards. Then you realize, what have I fallen for? What has happened to me? Well, that's about to happen in the state of the Ohio. This, this will be on the ballot in November. We have tried through several legal challenges on the language of the issue, uh, on the fact that it doesn't amend, uh, or state what laws it will be, uh, replacing. Uh, by the way, we think that the court got that wrong last, last week, the Ohio Supreme Court, because I remember voting oh, for a long, long time. And every time a proposed amendment was offered, it lists the laws that it would repeal. That's not going to be on this ballot language. You're going to have to discern it for yourself. Again, on Thursday, the ballot board's going to give it a number. 
We're going to be issuing a statement as an organization, the Ohio Christian Alliance. Look for the other pro-life organizations around Ohio to do the same. And get involved, volunteer, and do your best to help us defeat this. Lizzie, thank you so much for being my guest today. And thank you for all the work you did on Issue 1 and what you continue to do for the cause of life of helping defeat this in November. Thank you. You I'm listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.